Church, as we come together week after week as the gathered body of believers, we have something to celebrate, we have something to sing about. Indeed, we love to sing about the love of Jesus. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. However, I often think that we are uh, tempted to either reduce uh, the message of the Bible, reduce the message of Scripture to uh, the love of Jesus, or to uh, reduce the message of the Scriptures to uh, a list of rules. And both are potential dangers. In fact, we as believers in the message of God's Word are invited to read the Bible as a unified whole, uh, best understood through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews helps us uh, with this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Here, uh, this verse of Scripture. The law, speaking of the Mosaic law that was given by God through Moses to his covenant people with all its rules and regulations and sacrificial system, um, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. And for this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So we've been invited once again as people of faith to come together and to draw near to God and worship, uh, to worship Him. And we've had privilege of doing that this morning, of being led in worship this morning, and now continuing in worship this morning as we open the Scriptures together. But we don't come based upon our own merit. We don't come in our own efforts, for none of us are good enough. We are not good enough, but Christ is good enough. And through His blood, we are invited to approach God and to to approach Him confidently, boldly, knowing that He regards us as His children through faith. It's this topic that we're going to look at this morning from God's Word as we look at Galatians chapter 3. So let me invite you to open the Scriptures with me this morning to Galatians chapter 3 as we look at the end of of that chapter. Much of uh, this letter that Paul wrote to Christians uh, in Galatia uh, is about that theme, the relationship between the law and the gospel. And so we come to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians is right after First and Second Corinthians, before Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. So as you find your, your place there, let me invite you to join me standing uh, out of reverence for the one whose word it is that we are reading. So hear the word of God this morning. Galatians 3, verse 23 and following. Before the coming of this faith, we, Christians, were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do invite you to speak to us now through your word. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance by the power of your spirit. Thank you for being present with us. Lord, we desire to hear from you, to be led by you. 
to rightly understand the truths of your word, your truth, and to apply them to our lives today as your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, you may be seated. I want to begin with this question uh, to consider this morning. Why did God give the law? Why did he give rules and regulations for living for his covenant people? After all, if the law does not save us, and the scriptures are clear that the law does not save us, Jesus saves us. The law is not enough to lead us to be considered acceptable before before God. Why did he give us the law at all? Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter in all of the story of Scripture, recounts uh, the fall of the human race. Adam and Eve sinned, and ever since sin entered the human race, we have uh, been sinners, and we have wrestled with sin and the temptation to sin. We have fallen short of God's standard. But why, then, uh, do we have Genesis chapter 4 all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4? Why didn't we just jump to the birth of Jesus in the New Testament? Well, Paul conveys in Galatians chapter 3 and elsewhere that we, as people of faith, would not have been ready for the coming of Jesus had God's people not first spent some time under the law. God's law does not save us, but prepares us for faith in Jesus. God's law does not save us. It is not an avenue of our salvation, unless, that is, we can obey it fully, completely, perfectly, which no one has ever done other than Jesus Christ. God's law does not save us, but prepares us for faith in Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How were you taught uh, to read the Bible. And you may uh, immediately think, well, I wasn't really taught, per se, to read uh, the Bible. No one sat down with me and showed me how to read and study and interpret and apply God's Word. But even so, if you've spent any time at all around others reading the Bible, then uh, you were taught, at least to some extent, by example. The example of parents or teachers or, or preachers. I think oftentimes the Bible has been Uh, reduced to a dictionary of sorts, a dictionary that we're to consult when we want to know the answer to a particular question. You hear or read a word that you don't know what it means, you look it up in a dictionary, right? At least that's what you used to do back in the Stone Age. Now you pull out your, uh, your device, right? And you ask Siri to define it uh, for you, and then you can have a, a debate with her about whether or not her definition is right. I did that uh, uh, earlier this morning. Um, I, uh, actually, you, sir, I'm not going to do that this time because no one else could hear it. And everybody looked at me like, you really expect uh, us to have been able to hear that. So I asked Siri to define church, and Siri defined, uh, consulted her source, of course, and defined church as uh, a building, uh, something to the extent, now you are going to check me on this, I know, a building where Christians gather uh, for worship. And that very definition certainly implies a a cultural understanding of the church. We know the Bible does not uh, convey the church as a building, but as a people of faith in Christ coming together to worship. And I think often we approach the Scriptures this way. We want to know, what does the Bible say about? You fill in the blank. And certainly the Bible conveys uh, moral truths and values and uh, practical help for day-to-day living. 
But when we reduce the Bible to a moral dictionary or to a self-help book, uh, it is like describing the game of football uh, simply uh, by describing tackling. Or it's like defining uh, or explaining a a, a recipe for baking a cake uh, by mentioning a pinch of salt. In other words, you can't understand uh, those things without looking at a larger picture. And the same is true of God's Word. Ultimately, the Bible uh, is a book that conveys the greatest story that has ever unfolded. It is a story of redemption through Jesus Christ. It is a story that ultimately culminates in the coming and the living and the dying and the rising of Jesus in our place for us that we might have life in Him. And according to the Scriptures, we cannot fully grasp that story. We cannot fully understand the impact and the significance of that story without first knowing why God gave the law. So why did God give the law? The law exposes our failure. Just the law exposes our failure, our inability to live up to a standard, God's standard. It's like a mirror that reveals to us who we really are. It shows us who we really are. Now many of us are tempted, often tempted to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We're tempted to think that we are better than we really are. If you don't believe me, you can go home. If you're married, go home and ask your spouse to give you a list of rules uh, to live by and see how long it takes you to break that list of rules. If you're a child or a student, you might do the same thing with your parents. Ask them to give you a detailed list of rules and you'll quickly determine that you can only obey those rules so long because there's something in us called sin. It's in our nature. We're a rebellious people and the giving of the law exposed uh, this rebellion. In fact, elsewhere in the scriptures, Romans chapter 7, verse 7, uh, Paul is describing the relationship between grace And the law, and he writes this, he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? If it can't save us, then is it wrong? Certainly not. Nevertheless, he says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. In other words, the law conveys a standard. The law sets boundaries for living. Paul likens it in Galatians chapter 3 to a guardian. And a guardian in that day, in the first century world, would have been very similar to what certain families know today of a nanny, a babysitter that conveys and teaches morals and manners to a child until they reach maturity. See, the law reveals God's standard and it exposes our failure to live up to that standard. But the law in and of itself, church, can never change our hearts. The law cannot change our hearts. And God is interested in our hearts. God wants our hearts. He wants our affections. You see, you can, you can obey someone for a while without really liking that someone. To illustrate this example, I don't know how you parents... Um, how you approach dinner time with your children at home or how you did approach dinner time with your children at at home. But I can 
vividly remember, in fact, visualize the look on my father's face uh, as I was a young boy, as, he, as time was slowly ticking by at the dinner table, and those uh, plump uh, green Brussels sprouts still remained perched on the corner of my plate. Son, you're not going to get up until you eat those, said dad. And finally, after choking those down, and yes, they were, they were as, as bad as I had imagined. Uh, times have changed, things have changed, but it wasn't because uh, a rule was set in, in motion. You see, I could be uh, forced to eat them, but I couldn't be forced to like them. And the same is true of our relationship with God. Law sets out a course, a, a path, a standard, but it does not lead us in and of itself to love God. I really think this is why many in the world today reject the Christian faith or hate even the Christian faith because they have a distorted understanding of what it is. They think it is a list of rules that Christians sign up to live by. Rather, when we fall in love with the God of Scripture because we see His love for us, we then begin to want to obey Him. It is His love, it is His mercy, it's His grace that propels us, that prods us, that guides us to want to honor Him, to want to live for, for Him. It truly changes our hearts. In fact, long before the coming of Jesus, the Lord spoke about that future day through the prophet Ezekiel, that day in which God's people would have a transformed heart under a new covenant, that is the covenant of Jesus Christ. The Lord spoke through Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. The Lord said, I will give you, speaking to his people, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, church, notice the initiative of God there. God takes the lead, and he does an incredible work of transformation in the lives of his people, captivating their hearts by his, his grace and leading to a change. You see, the law exposes our failure. The law cannot change our hearts. And thirdly, the, the law is meant to drive us to Christ. Law is meant to drive us to Christ, to lead us to Christ as we recognize our own inability to live up to God's perfect standard, the perfect standard of a holy and just and sinless and righteous God. We begin to realize that we need someone else to rescue us. We need someone else to accomplish for us what we could never do on our own. To hear this description hear this these words from John Stott who was the longtime rector of All Souls Church in London England during much of the 20th century Stott wrote this he said no man has ever appreciated the gospel until the law has first revealed him to himself in other words no one no one appreciates the significance of God's mercy and grace until they recognize the sin in their own lives. He goes on to say, It is only against the inky blackness of the night sky that the stars begin to appear. And it is only against the dark background of sin and judgment 
that the gospel shines forth. Church, the law is not an avenue of our salvation, so give up working for salvation. Give up working for your salvation. Give up trying to earn your salvation before God, for, for you cannot earn it. It is not of you. It is not of me. It is of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's the gift of God. It is of grace. It is not from us. It is from Him. We could describe salvation in these terms. We could say the basis of our salvation is Christ. He has accomplished it on the cross of Calvary for us. The means of our salvation is faith. What Christ has accomplished is applied to our lives as individual believers as we receive Him in faith. And the evidence then of our salvation is works. The overflow of a heart and a life that has been transformed by His grace. You see, we have not been saved and are not saved and will not be saved based upon any work we have done. So give up working for it. It is a useless endeavor. Instead, live out your salvation. Live out your salvation. The very next verse in Ephesians chapter 2, after Paul describes significance of salvation by the grace of God, he goes on to say, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, we're not saved by doing good works, but we are saved to do good works. And when we begin to understand the grace of God, a transformation, a, a change takes place in us that shapes us and prods us then to want to, to please God, to honor Him, desire that leads us to want to live for Him, not So much for our sake, but for the sake of our Heavenly Father. For the sake of our Father who loves us so much that He sent His Son to take on the sacrifice for sins on our behalf. That we might be restored to right relationship with Him. And church, if you have repented and trusted in Jesus for salvation, the Scriptures do portray that God is your Father. You see, through faith in Jesus, God adopts us as His children. Through our faith in in Jesus as the one and only Son of God and Savior of the world, God adopts us as His children. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. See, this is... Significant. This is the difference between salvation by performance, which is unattainable for us, and salvation by promise. Long, long ago, God made a promise to a man named Abraham. He set him apart to be the father of a great nation. Indeed, to be the father of a multitude of nations who would represent the people of God, who would be the people of God. And God called upon Abraham to go outside one night and to look up the dark night sky. He said, look at the stars and count them, if indeed you can count them. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. And he said, so shall your offspring be. 
Abraham enjoyed a special status as a father of God's children and he was given the protection and the provision of of God and much of the rest of the Old Testament recounts Abraham's descendants inheriting this status and then as we come to the new covenant through Jesus Christ our Lord we see that all of us are invited to enjoy and experience this privilege of being God's people in a far greater way in a far more significant way as sons and daughters of the most high God through faith in the one true offspring of Abraham Jesus Christ our Lord through Jesus, we are invited to enjoy the privilege of adopted children of God. One night earlier this week, Ashley and I were sitting down in the living room after what felt like uh, an exhausting day, watching our uh, children scurry uh, across the room from the hardwood floor to the soft rug onto the faux leather couch arms and feet flailing everywhere in what seemed to be a continuous, uh, unending release of energy. Finally, I don't know if you can identify with that, but finally uh, I mustered up enough energy of my own to step out of the warm recliner and to convince my two-year-old son Paxson that I could beat him up the stairs. And thankfully for me, his still easily distracted brain, did not realize where this was going, so he jumped right on board and he met the top of the stairs and landed on the soft carpet landing. He quickly galloped across the room into his room to the corner where the toys are, are stashed and began playing. Before long, he realized where this was going, and so he darted to the next room in an attempt to hide and escape, and at this point, the Effects of the four cups of warm coffee that had poured through my body earlier that day was were no longer with me. And so I wondered for a second, who is going to win this battle? Who is going to surrender first? Is it him or is it me? But once I got back on board with my A game, I chased him down and took him to the restroom with the hopes that his bladder would be empty enough that there would not be a 2 a.m. waking tonight. And I poorly brushed his teeth, tackled his pajamas, and let him pick the ever-changing favorite book of the day. We climbed into the rocking chair and began to read a story. Brown bear, brown bear, what do you... Before I could finish the recurring question, Paxson was eager to turn the page, eyes wide open, wanting to see what picture lay on the next page. And this continued until we quickly got to the end of the story. I turned out the lights before he could ask or another book, rocked him for a minute, prayed over him, put him on his pillow, covered him in his blanket, began to step away before he gently yet confidently whispered, it's too tight. Turn around, adjust his blanket, kiss him goodnight, walk out the door, only to do it all over again in less than 24 hours. Now church, though the fatherhood, the parenting is exhausting. I would not trade the opportunity to father my children for, for anything. Not all the privilege to have the opportunity to be a father, to have a good and a 
present Father. But church, hear me on, on this. Every single person, all who turn to Jesus Christ in faith, have the privilege of knowing the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth as a perfect and loving and present Father. One who far surpasses any human representation of Him in love and in leadership and in wisdom. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, He invites all of us to enjoy knowing Him as His adopted children, as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And though we must disappoint Him, and though we hurt Him, and though we continue to sin time and time Again, He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is always with us and He calls us His own. As believers in Jesus, church, we are His. We are His. We are His children. We are His His people. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For all of you, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. In other words, you have put on Christ. You have identified with Christ. We had an opportunity once again this morning to, to celebrate that identification with Christ through believer's baptism. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is, is here. We invite you to hear what one pastor says about this This truth, this exchange, this identification with Jesus through faith. He writes, when God looks at us, when God looks at us, He sees us as His sons because He sees His Son. When God looks at us, people of faith in Jesus Christ, He sees us as His sons, as His sons and daughters, as His children, because He sees in us His Son, Jesus Christ Our Lord, he goes on to say, the Lord Jesus has given us his righteousness, his perfection to wear. We have been clothed with Jesus Christ through faith in Christ. We are his, and as his people, we are united. We are united. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, all of these distinctions describe divisions in that day, social barriers and social class separations of that day. And Paul is not saying that we are all the same, that we are all identical, that we are all interchangeable, but he is saying we are all equal. And none of us have earned our salvation through our own merits, but all of us have been invited to receive the grace of God, thereby becoming the adopted children of of God, We are His, we are united, and thirdly, we are heirs of God's promises. Church, as believers, we are heirs of God's promises. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That is the promise that He made to Abraham long, long ago. The promise that echoes throughout the pages of Scripture for all of God's people. And just as a son in that day, in the first century Roman world, enjoyed certain privileges and a certain status and a certain opportunity as a, a son. All of those who have turned to Jesus in faith enjoy certain privileges and opportunities and a certain status as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have a secure future. 
And we are called upon and invited now to enjoy the presence of God, not only on a future day, certainly a future day when we will experience it in all of its fullness, but even now as we approach God boldly through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as God looks upon our lives as his people, he sees all that Jesus has done. Or as he no longer looks at us and sees our guilt, but he sees the innocence of Christ. And he welcomes us into his presence. Church, through God's word this morning, we see that God providentially planned to dramatically alter our status for our good. In his grand story of redemption that we can only begin to fathom, God providentially planned to dramatically alter our status for our good, moving us from slaves to sons and daughters of the Most High God, from guilty to innocent through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ, from deserving the judgment of God to inheriting abundant and eternal life through Jesus Christ. Church, we are children of God. So as you've heard the message of God's grace this morning, again, let me urge you to allow God's adopting grace to capture your heart. Allow God's adopting grace to capture your heart. Out of love for us, God sent His one and only Son to bear the judgment for sin that we deserve on the cross of Calvary so that we might have life in Him. In His justice, God must punish sin. Yet in His mercy, He took the penalty and the punishment for sin that we deserve so that we could be adopted into His family, so that we could enjoy the privileged status and position of children of God. May God's adopting grace capture our hearts anew today. Church, invite God to capture your heart, to capture your affections, to move you, to stir you in response to the the grace of God displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Allow God's adopting grace to capture your heart and then, church, love the world's hurting as God has loved you. Let's love the world's hurting as the Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one and only sovereign king, the ruler over all, has loved us through Jesus Christ, our Lord.